1: Is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler, and today I have a very special guest joining me for a very special current event topic. Uh, My guest today is Jane Padilla, a high school English teacher whom I have known since we were six years old. (laughs) She is also a Twitch streamer, digital artist, and a prolific writer. She is also a loving cat mother of two street cats, uh, Rosie and Tiki. (laughs) Welcome to the pod, Jane.
0: Hi. I'm very excited to be talking about my job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and the reason why I invited Jane to talk with us today is about what we're calling the exodus.
0: Yes, some people are calling it the teacher shortage. A lot of teachers are calling it the teacher exodus. All of the teachers and educational professionals that have been leaving the industry or not staying in the first place the past few years.
1: Basically, anything to describe. these people have gone and what we can do to get them back
0: so many reasons
1: and jane is affected by this personally Mm -hmm. because she teaches in america at this time uh and you have been kind of going through a process of figuring out like what is your career going to look like in the face of all this
0: yeah exactly so My biggest goal this year was not to be teaching, and that didn't work out (laughs) exactly. Um, And it's nothing even to do with the kids, as I'll get into later, but trying to balance that idea of everything that has to do with education and teaching and wanting to stay and help people, but then all of the subsequent bullshit that that (laughs) entails.
1: Yeah, of all the stuff that kind of gets in your way of being able to do the goal of teaching, which is like help kids kind of get to their future.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Um so we're going to kind of go through a couple of things, a couple of issues about like teacher turnover in general, kind of components of this big topic we love to call burnout and how that contributes in education and then, you know, we love to end on a positive note. So what are some like tiny things teachers <laughs> can be doing now and what are some big things that maybe we can all be advocating for? Um and of course because this is a psychology podcast, I'm going to come at it from the mental health perspective mm-hmm. and Jane is here to give us the lived experience, the, the inside scoop. <laughs>
0: (laughs) The one ranting in the corner.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So. To start off, I found this article by Eben Shade, which was actually published this year, that kind of talked about this historical overview of teacher attrition rates or teacher turnover. Um, Because I think sometimes when we see stuff in the news, it feels like this is a problem right now and it's never, ever been a problem before. But historically, teacher turnover in America is quite high. And in fact, in this article, they said that in Singapore, the teacher turnover rate is like 3%. That's amazing. Like...
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's like
1: a normal job.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I think just this, this past year alone, the rate has, I think, gone up 3% <laughs> how bad the rate is.
1: Yeah. Oof. Yeah. And historically, teacher attrition rate has sat at like a 15 to 20% rate in the U.S. And the, it's funny, this article was quite a, like, stats nerd article. It was, like, about how to properly track teacher rates and... Mm it was really getting into the weeds about public data. Um, But they were saying that since like the 1920s, people have been trying to track, like, where are teachers at and how are they doing? And so we were kind of hovering at this, like, 16% attrition rate in the 20s. And one of the things that's p- stayed pretty consistent as we moved into the 1960s in education is that teachers who'd entered the workforce at a young age, so, like, 20 to 24, which was, like, probably around when you entered. I was 22. 22. Uh, They're less likely to continue teaching long term than those who entered at an older age, more in their 50s.
0: Yeah. So interestingly about that, when I was in my teaching credential program, I had a master teacher. So you have to do student teaching for a semester to a year, depending on the program that you're in. Mm I did it all year, August to June, one semester middle school, one semester high school. And my middle school master teacher pulled me aside one day and was like, are you sure you can't wait to teach? And I was like, why am I bad at this? And she's like, no, no, no. Like, you're good at it, but you're going to get so tired and you're mm. you're kind of young. Like, you're going to be in this job forever. And she, she tried to get me to sub for a while, but I told her I need the benefits. Like, I, I can't go into subbing. It's not enough money right now. Mm-hmm. I can't afford my apartment if I go into supping. And so being in teaching now, though, like I wish I could have taken – A few years off, but I just couldn't at the time. Part of the reason she was also saying that is retirement is different in a lot of different districts. Mm. So my district, instead of it being like, oh, when you turn 55, you can retire, or when you reach a certain amount of years, that's usually the common thread, uh, 30 years, most people say. So if I reached 30 years, I would be able to retire at 52. The problem is my district a couple of years ago set the retirement age at 65. so I'm gonna have been teaching for over 40 years before I can retire great versus someone who chose to go into teaching later in life they can retire after teaching less years right or there are some cases where some teachers do have to uh, stay longer because of years because it's the longer you stay the more money you can also retire at like the higher percentage
1: So you're making a decision when you're 22 about how you want to be living when you're in your fifties and sixties. Yeah. which (laughs) I
0: was so smart and made the best decisions and signed up for all the great. That's the other thing is they send these people to you, like to your classroom and they send you emails about like, Oh, these retirement people are here to have a lunch with you. Mm -hmm. And it's, these people that are signing you up for retirement packages that you don't know about and are acting like they're there to help you and are there for teachers. Mm. And then there's stuff I signed up for my first year or second year that I realized now were kind of a scam oh. or like, weren't what was the most helpful for me at the time, okay. even though, and I thought they were cause my school, my union was advocating for these people mm. and saying to go meet with them. But I wasn't actually getting like the, re- the best retirement package that I could.
1: I see. And it's when you're 22, you're like, I don't even I don't even know don't how this, know this will enough. apply.
0: Yeah. They're telling me like, "Oh, you should be putting in a uh, $250 a month my first year teaching." Yeah. And it's like, do you know how much I make? i <laughs> like, I have to eat
1: also, that. though.
0: <laughs> Which going into kind of how younger people are less likely to stay, you know, a lot of teachers, will they only really stay or they look around staying after five years. They know mm-hmm. if they're going to stay in teaching or not. Uh, with that, I would probably blame something called the induction program.
1: Mm, okay, what's this?
0: After a year of going through college and taking all these classes and doing student teaching without being paid... You think, oh, I have my credential. I can teach now. I have been cleared. I have taken the worst test of my life. I can (laughs) now be a teacher. No. (laughs) You get your job and you only have five years from the time you got your credential to clear it. Okay. And you have to sign up for a program called Induction. In some places it's called BITSA. Um, It's some long acronym for something. They've started renaming it in certain districts because it has such a bad reputation. Like They don't call it bits anymore. Oh, okay. And the idea <laughs> is fine of we need to have two years where a new teacher is put into a program mm-hmm. where they are continuing their education and getting a mentor and getting resources to help them be a new teacher. Okay. On paper, that sounds great. In reality, it is the most work and busiest nonsense you will have to do on top of the worst years of teaching you will ever have
1: okay cool good
0: (laughs) yeah you have to meet with your mentor uh, at least an hour and a half every week I think or an hour Mm -hmm. which is usually during your prep time which is the only time you have to work on lesson plans and grade
1: when it's not on your own time at home your own
0: time yeah and you're not paid for this Uh, In some cases, you have to pay for the program, actually. Oh, wow. I've heard of some districts where it can be upwards of like $2,000 or more to pay for it. Oh, gosh. And with the the meetings, you're technically supposed to be paired with someone who is in your subject area. So hypothetically, I should be paired with a high school English teacher who's going to mentor me. The problem is no teachers want to sign up to be mentors because we're busy enough right so I usually get pair I did this program a lot because I kept skipping around districts and never finishing it and I never got a mentor that was an English teacher
1: really at any point yeah the whole time
0: yeah so the last two years I did where I finally did clear it it was both times special education elementary school teachers
1: so not even the right age group no Wow. So you're yeah. being mentored by someone who doesn't know, like, the kind of students that you're going to work with or even your subject.
0: Exactly. So I'm going there being like, How do I teach Shakespeare? And they're like, I'll get back to you.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to get on my computer real quick. Yeah.
0: And they're like, Are you sure you don't want to focus on the standard about special education? And I'm like, yes, Very sure. I'm very sure. <laughs> <but> thank you.
1: <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. That's really, I think that's kind of similar to, like, the supervision process that we go through as, like, psychology graduates mm-hmm. of. And if you're an MFT, you do have to pay your supervisor to like give you your hours, oh, similar to that. Um, but you are typically paired with someone who's like a psychologist. Oh, what, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: To do. Oh, yeah. And like,
1: if you're working at an agency that works with teens, you're going to have people uh-huh. to supervise you who know how to work with teens. It's not going to be that.
0: I mean, like, I can't even say I work with teens because they
1: worked with children.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're like, it's have you different. tried clapping your hands to get their attention? I'm like, they're 16. No. <laughs> They will be very mad if I do that. <laughs> yeah. So you're supposed to have four semesters with this mentor because it's two years. And each semester you pick a different focus standard. And this, to also clarify, this might just be California. Okay. Um, yes. It's not every Disclaimer, state. California. Yeah. This might just be California. So we pick a different focus standard. There's six of them. You're going to do four out of the six. And that's why my mentor was like, do you want to do the special education differentiation standard? Usually mm. I picked the English language learner standard because I taught a lot of and teach a lot of hispanic students mm-hmm. who learned english as a second language mm-hmm. i've done like the engagement standard professional learning all kinds of stuff and you get to write a data-driven research paper each Woo-hoo! semester and turn it in wow wow on top of everything
1: else <laughs> so you're still doing school
0: yeah and once a month you have to go to like a three-hour pd I see. With all the rest of the new teachers that don't want to be there.
1: So it's a really high entry or barrier to entry.
0: Yes. And you have to do it. And I knew teachers who were hired as like coaches or had after school obligations. And they were told you need to drop them in order to go to this program or you're not going to be cleared. And oh. they were saying this is what I got hired for. I, I can't drop it. Yeah. So there was always butting heads and problems with how to manage time and things like that within the program
1: gotcha yeah yeah and i think one thing that is going to come up several times in this episode is just like the more demands whether it's like a bureaucratic demand or demands for you to like solve the mental health crisis for your kids or also be like a police officer like the more demands that get put on teachers the more we see this attrition rate start to go up
0: absolutely the the many hats we will say that we wear it's like which hat do i need right now based Mm -hmm. on the needs of my students or my staff or this stupid program i have to pay to be in when i thought i was done with schooling
1: Yeah. Um, And your needs are at the bottom of that list.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I actively hated this program. (laughs) Um, The worst part was, so uh, my program in my district was actually on probation. Uh, They were possibly going to lose the program and we would all be forced to go to a different district for our program. Mm -hmm. Because the guy beforehand who was in charge of submitting the paperwork for the program had left Okay. right in the middle of their evaluation the year before cool good
1: time to leave <laughs>
0: great so they did everything wrong they were on probation and they needed to submit paperwork to like prove that they were doing stuff right mm-hmm. being the only english teacher that they had <laughs> and were helping they kept i realized using my work to submit to the state and so they would push me more to make it perfect So they could use it as examples to get out of probation. To the point that this lesson i was supposed to write. So my last year of doing induction was during online learning. Already a stressful time. Yes. And I would meet with my mentor every week. And every week she kept telling me to add to my plan. And we only had to do one plan that year instead of one each semester. So they were like, yay, it's easier. Yeah. But not the year you. before, my two plans together were 32 pages. Okay. That year, for my easier plan, so to speak, it was 72 pages at the end of the year when I turned it in. So over, double. Yeah. During online learning.
1: Oh my gosh. They just
0: kept telling me I didn't have enough and kept making me resubmit it.
1: And then they got reaccredited or whatever because mm, they of got your work. that cool, year. Cool, cool, mm-hmm. The online teaching thing, I think, is also, is why we're seeing a lot of this, like, teaching yeah. exodus. Um. There's not a lot of data on it right now because it's, you know, still too soon. But one study I was looking at by, uh, I think it's Batcher Hicks in 2022, noted a 17% increase in rate of turnover in fall 2021. So that means that like after that first really rough year of online teaching of 2020, teachers were gone Yeah. by the time we came back to school. And I think you were still kind of online in fall 2021, right?
0: Um, or you guys were like no we we came back fall of 2021 we went online for a little bit after winter okay so 20 the beginning of 2022 because of omicron and everything going on oh right wildfire spread through our district so we were online for like a week which you know helped so much and <laughs> then we came back stop so, the spread yeah we were online the end of 2020 well okay School year versus normal people year is throws me off when I say years. But March to the end of the school year and then the whole next school year.
1: Gotcha. Through 2021 spring. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. That, like, I mean, I think there was an expectation that it's, like, it should be less work because you're not going in and blah, blah, blah. But then, like, I think a lot of teachers were experiencing it is actually a lot more work yeah. and now I'm not only responsible for planning lessons for kids but also like figuring out where they are are they okay are their parents okay that you haven't logged onto your zoom for three days I don't yeah. know if you're even still alive do you have COVID? like all this stuff got added on to your guys's yeah it was plate. definitely a,
0: a lot of issues in terms of like student engagement student mental health I had a student who was, I had I think seniors and sophomores that year mm. and I had a student who was a senior and I would call on students sometimes to answer questions and he was like miss can i talk to you after class and he's like i work full time monday through friday to help like support my family Mm -hmm. and i'm a welder right now Mm. um so i'm i'm working on cars and i have my headphones in while you talk and i'm listening and i'm gonna do the work when i get home but i can't really answer if you call on me during Mm. class and this kid at the same time was also going through his mom gave up custody of him and all Mm. his siblings he had to go to court he was about to turn 18 his stepdad was trying to adopt him so he could get money. Like all kinds of stuff was just going on in this poor kid's life. And I would check in with him once a week to see how he was doing. Yeah. I had students that I had from previous years who were reaching out to me, trying to find places to get food yeah. and places to sleep. We had a lot of homeless students. Um, yeah. And there, I was like, I don't, know who to call we don't really have like I'll call the counselor maybe they could be able to point me to some resources like I'm gonna try to get you some stuff but the mental health was bad we were supposed to be doing all day schooling and then we had to have a few hours of office hours for any students that wanted to pop in that couldn't make it to school and then on top of everything else they just kept changing what our requirements were yeah, because you know, they wouldn't. like We never knew what our grading policy was pretty much the whole time.
1: Oh, great, good. <laughs> yeah.
0: At yeah. one point, they changed the graduation requirements. So my seniors were coming to my class because they needed English for a fourth year to graduate. Mm-hmm. And then they told them, you only need three years of English now. For goodbye so i never saw any of them again yeah <laughs> they they all stopped coming
1: yeah yeah i mean i don't blame them but I, I probably would not have gone
0: either yeah no i i get it like online learning was awful no but no learning happened yeah. <laughs> i tried but no learning happened yeah for sure
1: and it sounds like you essentially then became a social worker, too, of like, let Mostly. me find where housing is. Yeah. And that's not your job. And
0: then I'm trying for the seniors to help them figure out what they're going to do when they graduate or what mm-hmm. graduation's even going to look like and what the requirements are. And they can't go in and meet with the counselor because there's no counseling time that the counselors are trying to do online office hours but not enough of the kids knew about it or knew how to get there
1: mm, yeah, yeah yeah i can't even imagine having to like do all that on top of like what you already have to do
0: the best part was that the state started requiring us to make participation logs Oh, where we had to log every single student and their attendance and exactly what they had done for that day and then submit it to the state for the week, Mm -hmm. which was great to do with over 100 students every day (laughs) and turn in on top of all the other mental health things everybody was going through.
1: Yeah, because some of us got to just like have a break. Yeah. When things went online. Definitely not.
0: Ours was during our spring break, is when stuff shut down. Yeah, it was like right before, so they were like, "Use your spring break to plan stuff." I was like, "That's what I want to use my spring break for." <laughs> That's Thanks. That's why it's called a break, right?
1: Yeah, it a break. <laughs> it's my break from reality. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I think like obviously we're seeing kind of this like shift in this teacher turnover rate, partly because of it being online, but I also think like. <laughs> The, this rate has always been there, right? This like pretty high 15%. It seems yeah. like it's it probably is gonna stay around the fifteen to twenty percent, even after online teaching and all this stuff. But the thing is, is like teachers get individually blamed for leaving a job. Whereas like I'm sure we could look up attrition rates for other jobs. Like I'm sure firefighters have a pretty high attrition rate because that's a yeah. really hard job. But is anybody going, These firefighters are so ungrateful that they They're get like quiet, public money? <laughs> No, there's something like unique about the job of teacher that, especially in American culture, makes this assumption of like, you guys should be doing more for us for less, and you should not be complaining about it. It's for the kids, Grace. It's for the kids. It's for the kids. It's for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about like what these types of turnover can look like. So I, in this Ebb and Shade article, um, they were talking about these three main types of teachers. So there's stayers, movers, and leavers. So the stayers are, like, actually quite a large percentage. 84% of teachers get into a job, they stay at their job. They stay at the same school, same district. They may, like, change, like, grade or whatever, but they're staying in the same district, same school. The movers, which is about, like, I think, like, four four to five percent they move around they'll go to a different school a different district and then the leavers are those who leave the profession upright like overall so the majority of teachers are gonna they're in and they stay and what how do you feel in your experience that that's like
0: that's usually pretty on par with my experience The thing with that, and why I think a lot of teachers stay, is there's a a couple ways they try to make you stay, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, When you first start teaching, you're on a temporary contract, which means you get non-renewed at the end of the year. And you have to wait all summer to find out if you have a job to come back the next year. So
1: fun. So good for your mental health. (laughs)
0: They literally tell you apply for other jobs and take it if you get one. And then you're just put on a temporary contract again. Okay. Um, A district can put you on a temporary contract as long as they want okay i've known teachers who have been on one for eight years i've known teachers who have had to re-interview for their own jobs on a temporary contract have had to go to job fairs for their own job (laughs) on temporary contracts and after a while they're going to put you on probationary and after that they have to put you on the next year of probationary so you have two years of that and then after that you get tenure which it doesn't mean like you can do anything and you don't get fired which is what most people think yeah, that's like
1: university tenure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can like <laughs> set the whole university on fire. Yeah. And they're like, don't do that. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. But for teachers, it just means at the end of the year, you're still going to be working there. Like mm. they can't just decide to pink slip you like what was happening in the early 2000s a whole bunch. Mm. It's. They will move you somewhere. They can definitely move you and involuntary transfer you, which happens to a lot of teachers. It happened to me my second year of teaching. Mm. I was involuntary transferred from middle to high school because of enrollment numbers. Mm-hmm. And I work with a teacher who is also transferred, not by choice. Aside from you you want to stay because if you move any district, your seniority doesn't transfer in terms of senior. Like if you're mm-hmm. tenured in one district and you go to a new one, you're not tenured there.
1: You're starting all over from that temporary You're starting process. all over back
0: at temporary. And okay. that's not something a teacher with a family or a mortgage or <laughs> like who has wants security is going to do. Right. And in addition to that, your years won't be taken past a certain number. Mm. So we have a salary schedule within teaching that uh, every year it has steps and Mm -hmm. it has your salary. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it doesn't, but it's negotiated by the union. Of what years your salary is raised, and that's your amount of years working. If you go to a different district, often they will only take up to five years.
1: Okay, so you're so, losing. Yeah, let's say else. you've been
0: working as a teacher for 15 years and your family has to move and you have to go to a new district. Mm-hmm. Now you're working as a fifth year teacher.
1: Even though you have 15 Even years like of experience. 15, yeah. And you're getting
0: paid as a fifth year teacher, and now your retirement is based on you being a fifth year teacher. So you've just added <sighs> 10 years to your work. Cool,
1: cool, cool. Yeah, and I- like in any other job, you take your experience with you and you. Would get compensated appropriate unless you're making like a massive career shift yeah that's crazy that's like a big government thing though that like not yeah. big government as in like the deep state but like <laughs> a common government thing those temporary positions mm-hmm. um like for example if i wanted to get a, a psychologist job with cdcr the corrections department they have a lot of those limited positions where you apply with the understanding of someone who used to have that job could come back in a year and say yeah. i want that job back and take your spot back, and everybody who comes in at the bottom, you can get let go or like laid off or whatever very quickly. So you're coming in with this like insecurity hanging over you.
0: Yeah, and it's more stressful because now you don't know like what the state the status of your job is ever going to be, and yeah. you're constantly hounding the principal, your boss, who you've just known a few months, and saying, yeah. "Are you going to hire me again?" <laughs> And then the principal's going, it's up to HR. Like, I want you, but it's not up to me. It's up to, like, our numbers and our seniority. And then suddenly yeah. you care about how many students you have in your class because mm. if any of them move, you're going to be like, oh, God, are the numbers too low? Am I not going to be hired again? It's, it's, oh it's extremely stressful until you get your tenure. And with some unions and some school districts, you can negotiate and get more years. Some will accept more years than other yeah. districts if you're charter or private school going to public school sometimes they won't take any of your years that Mm -hmm. happened to my husband he switched from private to one public to a new public school and they only took a few of his years despite i think they took four and he's worked eight
1: he's been teaching for Mm -hmm. a long time and yeah that's only took half of them now it's like he's a baby teacher again salary wise even though he has oh yeah and they told him like and a master's right
0: oh yeah he has a master's too and he told them i'm taking a 10 grand pay cut to work here and they went that's not that much (laughs) they literally told him that hr was like oh that's not a lot well now they're gonna be like you get
1: that 10 grand back from joey b with the loans forgiveness (laughs) yeah with the loans forgiveness god (laughs) that's crazy yeah and i think that like this is something that i've never heard of in the like teacher exodus discourse in like the news and stuff obviously we don't know this like Background stuff, and it's hard to talk about it because, like, you know, no offense, but it's very boring to talk about like salary schedules, (laughs) (laughs) it's not the most like glamorous topic. Step
0: C, yeah, (laughs) Uh,
1: like, no one's going on Anderson Cooper to be like, Have you heard about this induction program? (laughs) But that's dumb bullshit. (laughs) That's a huge, (laughs) that's a huge part of why you're having this like massive job it's not just people are leaving people are dissatisfied with their job
0: oh absolutely oh and then going back to the the teachers not staying very long i mean i felt that way in my teaching program it was one of those situations where it's like look to your left look to your right only one of you's going to stay a teacher kind of yeah! like <laughs> we're <laughs> like oh dear god who's it going to be and it's true. Most people I knew from that program aren't, aren't teachers anymore or didn't even go into teaching after the program because student teaching was so bad. But with new teachers, the, the turnover rates and the attrition rates are so much worse in districts that are low income, and it's awful because those kids – need Mm -hmm. the most support and get the least but it's it's they're tough districts to work in because usually the enrollment numbers in your classes are so high Mm -hmm. um the consequence systems are so low (laughs) Mm -hmm. and not you need to have a really really good principle for it to work well and oftentimes you don't and your first year you're going to be working in one of those districts and we we call them title one um because it's usually students who are Majority low income, and mm-hmm. they get certain funding too, which sometimes goes to the schools if you're lucky. <laughs> but that's where I usually start. And with most teachers still also being white females. Mm who have grown up in their rink <laughs> little small towns, <laughs> um, they have to learn fast at Sink or Swim. Like, you have to learn about the culture. You have to help the students. You have to show them you care. And oftentimes, you're putting so many hours into the workday, and you're freaking out about if these kids have home or food all day. Yeah that caregiving part of you just gets burnt out so fast that first year and there's also programs like teach for america Mm. which is the same thing you get pulled and that's your teaching program basically is you're in the classroom where no one wants to work is Mm -hmm. what teach for america is and they put you in these classrooms and it's a sink or swim type of learning environment Mm. you got to learn on the job and usually you don't get the resources and the support you need and it's not always even the kids it's just everything else going against you
1: yeah from what i know we've talked about before it's like the kids are the reason you're there like to teach them and help them out and so they're not the ones driving you away
0: no yeah i mean uh, (laughs) (laughs) i I would say the times that they do drive you away is more a reflection on how the school and district you're in Mm -hmm. responds to students naturally Mm. pushing back against consequences or against just the school system in general yeah and how they view school how they're taught to view school the policies of how like you're taught to teach like is it equitable is it Mm. focused on their students mental health and meeting their basic needs and without that the kids run rampant (laughs) Uh, last year was especially hard coming back from covid was probably more or coming back from online learning i should say was was tougher than online learning because the behaviors were awful and a Mm. lot of school districts had zero consequences they would do something where it was called um like a walk and talk is kind of what they call it where it's like oh little timmy just punched out another child let's walk and talk about it and say how oh, that's a bad idea with mm-hmm. the principal and then we're gonna drop them back off in your classroom
1: oh yeah that's not and... it's kind of a reward
0: <laughs> yeah or like you send them to the counselor because you're like they just drew a picture and threatened to kill me and then they come back with a lollipop Are allowed in your classroom again. Yeah, that's
1: super comforting.
0: Yeah. And it's like, oh, great, cool. Yeah. Great conversation.
1: And, like, you know, not that we need kids to be like hit with rulers, but like, kids do need structure and they need appropriate consequences for behaviors because otherwise they don't learn how to modulate their own behavior when they become adults
0: yeah it's a balance for sure it's you know it used to be huge corporal punishment like let's paddle the kids and they'll learn which i think yeah. they just brought back in a state who i it's it, like probably florida but they brought it back somewhere that it's legal again And uh, that's a no-no. And the opposite end, though, is we have uh, restorative education. We have a focus on something called PBIS, which is Positive Behavior Intervention Strategies. Mm. And they get a lot of flack from teachers now because we're used to being in PDs for three hours, being talked at for three hours about how to give a good presentation and be engaging when that presentation itself was unhelpful and unengaging. (laughs) And there are right ways to do those strategies but it's not just walking and talking like it's finding these equitable solutions for students and there has to be that middle ground of consequences still being a part of a school structure for the safety and well-being of all students
1: yeah and it's gonna be individualized right every student can't have the same consequence Mm -hmm. because it might not mean the same thing that's like just that's good behaviorism
0: (laughs) it doesn't mean no consequences yes
1: yeah that's because like in the world you have consequences right like if I mm-hmm. am out at the grocery store and I punch someone in the face as an adult I have consequences for that <laughs> and it's and not then, a walk and talk yeah
0: our students are gonna go out and be like wait we're not just gonna walk and talk about it <laughs> like, <laughs> last wait, time wait. I
1: did a lap about this and we were good <laughs>
0: yeah
1: well I think this is a great segue into the the next thing I wanted to talk about which was like components of burnout because you, you've kind of have talked about like you said something about the kind of like the caregiver part of you gets squashed pretty quickly because of all the demands on your on your plate. Um, and so I found this really interesting article by Rumschlag that was specifically looking at teacher burnout and kind of what are these main components behind burnout for teachers. And it comes from this model that was developed in, I believe, the 1970s, but has still been like replicated in studies ever since. And they identified these three main components. So the first one is emotional exhaustion, which is when the demands placed on one person overwhelm or overextend the person. And the consequence of emotional exhaustion is that it leads to like a distancing from one's own emotions of like, I'm so overwhelmed by what I have to do at work. I can't even be in touch with myself and
0: what I'm feeling. (laughs) Grace, don't call me out like this. (laughs) This is in general, in general. (laughs)
1: things that contribute to emotional exhaustion that's been identified in the literature is increased levels of violence in schools which reduce the feeling of safety or security that teachers have and increases in the level of work required to complete outside of school work or school hours which I know you and I have talked about offline (laughs) multiple times but this idea of like not only are you having to do your job you're terrified for yourself and your kids because unfortunately we are seeing Huge numbers of like school shootings. It's still a pretty yeah. consistent thing, and I know you have other examples of like this, like violence that happens in schools, and then you don't get the time to go home and recover to mm-hmm. start over the next
0: day. Yeah, especially with so with violence in schools. Um, until the school I was in, and even then, I think the first year it happened. So that would be the first three years i was a teacher Mm -hmm. there had it always been at least one school shooting threat against the school every school i worked in there'd been one um the only reason there wasn't in the next two years was because we were online Mm. (laughs) and last year shockingly was fine that was just a lot of panic attacks and then the year's still young now (laughs) but i mean it doesn't help when we have the police come in and they give us active shooter drills to the teachers and you can read some absolute horror stories of teachers and students who are traumatized by these drills. They have had principals and admin and cops go around with airsoft guns and Nerf guns, like simulating shooting anyone who's out in the halls. They will uh, pull on the door and bang on it and try to get you to open it. They'll make like raiding sounds and shooting sounds with. Speakers, and luckily that's never been my experience. Yeah, but I've I've known a lot of teachers who've gone through that and been traumatized. They've even set up like people with fake blood in the hallways, like they've been shot, and (sighs) make you go through it when you're exiting. It's it's awful. There's some terrible stories about it. Aside from that trauma, um, (laughs) a normal active shooter drill also isn't great, and we'll often have questions about it. And it's it's made to seem a lot of the times in the news. And when you talk with people, like, oh, you do this job for the kids, so you should give up your life for them. Like, that's another thing that's expected of us. Yeah. And the only positive anything about teachers you really see is it's like, oh, this person was a great teacher because they died for their students. Yeah. And it's like, that's the only thing I can do to make you guys like me as a teacher? <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> high bar. But when we had our active shooter drill at my current school – I, the police officer came in. He was talking to us about what we need to do. He showed us a video, which ironically was filmed at one of the schools I had taught in. So that was interesting. <laughs> and we raised our hands and we're talking to him. And we said, hey, uh, our school is very modern in its architecture. Mm. And uh, they decided to make a whole wall of glass windows in everyone's classroom. Mm. So when you're saying barricade and block the doors, how do we do that with our glass wall? that is easily seen through and the officer just straight up went (laughs) and was like basically like well that sucks uh get Uh, out as soon as you can then which did not help our feeling of safety at our school and i always we we make jokes like we make dark humor because what can you do but laugh yeah with all the teachers on staff because we know if there ever was an incident that we're we're all screwed Yeah, yeah there's nothing we can do
1: that Yeah, I was at your house a couple of weekends ago and you and your husband were talking about like the kind of content that's in these like active shooter drills and this window mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, you know, I, I have a job where like safety concerns are part of every day. Like I have to deal with people saying they're going to kill themselves or they're going to hurt other people and like dealing with that. But like I know that is part of my job yeah. and that's like what I signed up to do. Um, You didn't sign up to do this no. when you went to school and you didn't choose to go work at a school that has glass windows Mm. for the fun of it like that was not a choice that you were able to be a part of and then now you're saddled with this like very big responsibility of protecting children from a like a yeah just bullet hell
0: and we also live in a an area where there has been lots of incidences of of Reported people, like suspecting people, whatever that means, walking around. Um, There's been incidences where there's been shootings up the street that happened during graduation last year. There was a shooting at the apartments down the way, Mm -hmm. and we all had to be on radios and on the lookout in case that person got away. And we had to be ready to lock up the school with all of the parents and students there for graduation. And I, I had a student, so the first year I was at this district, who had made a threat and I remember they called me in the office and I thought I was in trouble because you always think you're in trouble when you go to the principals, (laughs) even as a teacher. And they were like, oh, we just want to let you know you have a student who made an active shooter threat. And I was like, oh my God, like, what do I need to do? Are they suspended or are they kicked out? Like, yeah, he's going to, you know, go talk to some people for like two days and then he's going to be back on Monday. Good. Is there something I need to do? I'll just keep a lookout. (laughs) Oh, okay. Great. (laughs) Love that. So... I think just nobody also knows how to handle it. There is no set thing for, for administration and for teachers on how to handle it. Teachers, we report and we report, but oftentimes it's either administration or the police that are skipping the crucial step, mm. and usually it's finding mental health professionals who can help a lot of these kids, because there is something going on, yeah. either mentally or at home or both, that they need help with. And they they don't get it. And that's when it leads to that. Or like a lot of times it ends up not even being the kids. It's just some dude who came off the street. It's some person who knows one of the teachers or one of the people Mm. who work there. And what are you supposed to do against that? Like I can't look out for the mental health of every rando that walks by my school. No. (laughs) So yeah, that's always a big issue too is you can help all your kids and give them the best mental health and it still might not make a difference.
1: Yeah, and I can't imagine the feeling of like knowing that this kid who is – going through so much that he's making these threats, is then going to come back to your classroom, and on top of teaching everyone, now you're keeping an eye on him to be like, is his behavior changing? I don't even know what I'm looking out for. And even if I did notice anything, what am I going to do next? Because no one is is here to help him.
0: Yeah, I've had some classes before that are like my high alert classes of like, okay, here's my two students who have some type of special need that I need to check in with them during these assignments Mm -hmm. and give them these accommodations. Here's my students who... Um, they're not proficient in English so I'm giving them their accommodations and checking that they can do this part. Here is my student who talked to me about her parents going through a divorce. Here's my student who just had a 5150 for suicidal ideation and now here's my kid who had a active school shooter threat. <laughs> and it's like yeah. boom 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 every class period or you have these students and are thinking of all of those things at once while you're just trying to teach them.
1: That's, yeah, that's so, that's
0: so much to hold. Yeah, and then I hate TikTok. I know that's very, very (laughs) off the cuff of what we're just talking about, but last year with TikTok was so bad. There was a trend, and it was on the news, it was so bad, of uh, devious licks is what it was called, and it was just TikTok videos of kids stealing stuff, and my husband had it worse because he's at a bigger high school at the time. They were stealing hand sanitizer stations, they were stealing fire extinguishers, some kids stole a toilet, like... (laughs) The amount of nonsense they were stealing. And it's continued into this year in terms of trashing classrooms. Like, kids will try to break into a classroom if it's not locked and completely destroy everything in that classroom. There's been ones with, like, sexual assault. Like, aha, it's funny when you record yourself slapping a teacher on on the butt or slapping them in the face. That happened last year, too. That was a trend going around. Uh, all all kinds of stuff. Just like film yourself being disrespectful to a teacher and see their reaction and post it online.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it's like, I would imagine that that kind of comes from this like larger cultural conversation that kids pick up on. That's like teachers are ungrateful and teachers are slacking. And so they can be objectified and beat up on.
0: Yeah. I mean, we get so many views in so many different facets facets of life from our students, like what they pick up on and what yeah. they learn. And they're in this identity stage of development where they're trying to figure out who they are still. Yeah. So they're testing boundaries and trying to figure out where they align with so much. And, you know, I when I taught middle school, I had a student who would, would tell me how he never once a woman to be president because they don't women don't know how to be leaders and I was like I teach you I, what do you think I am
1: I'm here actually leading yeah
0: I was like you are learning from me yeah why <laughs> like, do you not think you can because I am a woman he, he didn't know what to say to that like that challenged his view he never thought of me as a woman and was Ooh. like oh <laughs> right there's that connection so all those variety of views coming in too
1: Yeah, this may be a little bit off topic, but thinking of like TikTok and opinions, Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you've seen this like Andrew Tate stuff that's been going on and I might do an episode on him later. But I saw a TikTok of a woman who's an elementary school teacher who was saying that her 11 year old boys were like Mm -hmm. saying things to the girls that very clearly came from Andrew Tate's content, which first of all, an 11 year old should not be watching anything that man has to say. And second of all, like it's pretty I know it's one example, but that's like pretty clear anecdotal evidence that this stuff trickles down to kids and they repeat it in a way that's unique because kids don't necessarily synthesize Mm -hmm. other people's views. They just might repeat them back to kind of try them on like you're saying in this identity phase. Oh, yeah. And depending on the reaction that they get, Mm -hmm. it can like, oh, that was fun. It can reinforce it. And like, I don't know what this woman did to correct that experience or like whatever she did to discipline that kid like I I don't know and I we don't need to get into that yeah. but I think there is this almost this idea of like you said something kind of like nasty in class and even if you got in trouble with it like you said something nasty and like yeah. you got attention for it so that boy may do it again and now this teacher on top of dealing with a like I'm assuming 30 11 year olds yeah she's now gonna be having to dealing with this kid probably gonna say something to her too about how she's a nasty woman and It was very fat shaming and like, yeah, it's bad stuff about like how women don't work for their money, which I was like, you're 11, (laughs) you you don't work for your money either. (laughs) Uh, But just like, it's not just the opinions that the parents have about you and your job. It's like the kids are bringing in, they're almost carrying all this baggage with them and then they drop it at your feet to deal with.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a lot uh, with social media and with just the amount of media that they can consume. There's also been, going off of attention-seeking behaviors, there's been a big trend, maybe more so with younger kids, but I can see it with my high schoolers, where the attention-seeking also comes in the form of they're they're trying to stand really close to you, or they're always interrupting you when you're talking to someone. Mm. And a lot of teachers, and even I've started to notice, it's almost like they're coming close enough as if you had a phone in front of you, and they're trying to come in and absorb your attention.
1: So it's like at home
0: that's how they get attention and get someone to pay attention to them because they have a, a parental figure who's always also on social media. Yeah. And so cuz I was like why are these kids like they're socially awkward but they're always in my bubble? Like why are yeah. they all up in here? And or I would be talking to a student and they would cut in front of the student or or talk to talk over me as if they're trying to talk loudly at me and I'm yeah. like, "What? Why are you why are you talking to me like that?" And so there's been a t- like in a smaller scale i've seen that as well interesting so not just the the parental influence or social media influence but the the like family is also being yeah attached to their phones or their media
1: and it's changing the behavior of the
0: kids yeah yeah and then again of course repeating whatever they hear online and trying to see the reaction attention-seeking behaviors are, are super big and any aged child or teenager (laughs) just the amount of nonsense they do and you pull them aside one-on-one and you have the you have the student and you're like why did you do that and they go i don't know (laughs) like they know i talked to them i'm like you know that was stupid yeah and they do they they always do but they they just want that retention they want that reaction because they're not getting enough either at home or they're not getting enough on social media they want to have likes and dopamine and attention and all that stuff. And they're trying to find it in any way they can. Yeah. And that dopamine is very powerful as as Mm -hmm. I've
1: mentioned before on the show. And I think all of that kind of, this really falls under that umbrella of like emotional exhaustion of like, you're dealing with all of this stuff on top of your job and then you never get to recover from it, which leads to burnout. Now the second component of burnout is called low sense of personal accomplishment this is a feeling that one is ineffective and does not have the qualifications required to do their job. Now, I've heard your stories about professional development opportunities mm-hmm. as a teacher, and they are Abismal. lacking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Abysmal, we can go with that. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, it, there's so many different subject areas looking at middle and high school heck looking at elementary Mm -hmm. as a teacher alone you have to teach so many and to be a teacher you don't need a degree in your subject area you're teaching you only need to pass the test for that subject okay and in some states they took that away too you just need nothing I don't even know what you need anymore you show up you just show up up. so there, you would think like, oh, this teacher should know everything on their subject. And I've known teachers who it, – it doesn't matter if they didn't have the degree in it. They're great at what they teach. They know the textbook or they've learned it. And they are still good at what they do. But there needs to be updates. Like if you're a science teacher, there's a lot of new scientific articles and scientific research coming out. I have never been to a professional development on teaching English curriculum or resources for teaching English mm. curriculum. I had a – quarter uh, yeah quarter class which was 10 weeks during my teaching program with someone who wasn't even a professor they were trying to get their PhD and had been an English teacher before and we met with them once a week for 10 weeks and that was our entire training on how to teach English Mm. all I ever had 10 hours (laughs) (laughs) and I was like thank god I was an English major
1: Right, but that's it's different being an English major and teaching English.
0: Oh, absolutely. So then there's something within teaching called pedagogy. And pedagogy is your ability to actually teach. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people think like, oh, you can be an engineer and therefore if you're an amazing engineer, you could teach engineering. We do not want most engineers in the classroom. <laughs> um, like there's a lot you need you didn't have classroom management skills the ability to succinctly manage your content and send it out in digestible bits to students and differentiate it between all of your students i teach at a school that doesn't have any kind of ap or honors or anything Mm. so all of our kids are lumped together in one big group so i have my high achieving kids i have my english language learners my my students who have learning or physical disabilities my um, at-grade level are so just all over the place. And yeah. I have to have learned skills and strategies to teach all of these students at once mm. Mm. the same book. <laughs> <laughs> well, we yeah. have like my student who just moved here from South America and doesn't really know English. And I'm having to find strategies to help them the yeah. same way I would any other of my students. Because yeah. we don't have a separate English class just for kids who don't know actual English yet
1: right or on the other end for kids who are like over Mm -hmm. overachieving where where their grade level is at
0: so with the professional development you would think there'd also be a lot more on pedagogy on how to do certain strategies for differentiating for these students or for how to teach your subject area everything i've been to has been like what's the buzzword of the year and Mm. it's been here's how you teach grit and rigor (laughs) stamina to students those are the words that was one you went to all of them, not one. Like every year, they talk about grit and rigor. Those are the two words that they love to use. There's a lot more. I hate that. You know, oh, yeah. It's terrible. I'm like, it just makes it sound like sand and dead bodies is what you want our students to be. <laughs> but they're like, these kids have no stamina for anything. You need to give them that. And we're like, yeah, okay. Neither do we, bro. How? <laughs> and then they go, just do it. And that's a PD. It's been three hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh it's not helpful and then we submit ideas of like can you actually teach us how to do this and i secretly think no one just knows how to do any of it and they're all just <laughs> lying <laughs> they're like we don't know quick just define words and maybe they'll never catch on grit is like sand <laughs> it's like so my specific school we are a school that's based in project-based learning that's one of the newer trends that's going on right now right and like all of these trends they can be very helpful when done right but nobody does them right, and they say the words over and over again, and mm. then they say, well, that didn't work. And it's like, you never trained us in the first place. So everyone who enters my school is supposed to get PBL training, and we literally get sent somewhere and go on like a full weekend of yeah. just lessons on how to do this specific method of teaching. I have been at this school site for five years and have never been to it. I has been oh. scheduled three times and canceled every time, or our district... Because our board only meets once a month. Uh, they're the ones who pass everything. Yeah. And they never pass the budget in time for us to get approved to go to these conferences. Classic. So we've never been. And then we have five new staff this year. I'm one of the... I've only been there five years, and I'm one of the most senior veteran teachers on campus. Good good, Looking great. <laughs> it's teacher turnover, guys. And... Uh, Leading the charge. We... We, with this PBL, our new principal, because this has been the, well, only the second principal I've had at this school in five years, the third one in six years, though. She comes in and she asks us, like, okay, I expect you all to do one PBL project a quarter. And I'm training a new teacher right now who's like, a, a what, a quarter? Like, what is this? Like, no one knows. I was like, yeah. I don't even know. I've been here five years and I still don't know what they expect me to do. And this yeah. is a school. Our whole basis and our whole school plan is built on this idea. And no one knows how to do it. Cool. cool. And that's, that's professional development. <laughs> professional, <laughs> professional development is three hours of this could have been in an email. Yeah. Which, like,
1: in terms of this, like, low sense of personal accomplishment, like, how are you supposed to feel excited about developing a project when you don't even know what the project is supposed to be?
0: Yeah. And then I, I want to differentiate for all of my students, and I want to help them feel successful all yeah. the time. But I have, like, this year I don't have as many students, but last year I had 110. My husband this year has 180 students.
1: Wow. And,
0: yeah, and he like we're expected to be able to help every single one of them and we only see them five hours a week mm. and it's like i less than five hours cause passing periods and everything but looking at an average teacher you get prep time your mm-hmm. prep time is probably an hour a day on average if that maybe 50 minutes and you're expected to plan curriculum and grade everything you need to in those 50 minutes
1: for a hundred and
0: for a hundred plus students yeah. with that as well many teachers, especially with teacher turnovers as they are, aren't just teaching one subject area or aren't just doing one thing. I know a lot of teachers who are coaches. There were some jobs that I applied to for English teaching before I got where I am right now, where I applied and I got there and they said, Okay, you're gonna teach English and coach cheer. And I was (laughs) like, Yeah, no, and I just left. I was like, No, I'm not gonna do this. Yeah. Or they've combined positions. My husband, when he was looking for jobs, Uh, It was bio and chemistry, which are two different credentials. Yeah. And they're like, we'll give you an emergency credential. And he's like, I don't want to teach chemistry. Yeah,
1: it's not my thing.
0: Yeah, it's not his thing. He doesn't like it. He got his degree in bio. Yeah. (laughs) Which is rare. Most of the bio teachers had, like, not bio degrees. (laughs) He's very dedicated to bio. Yeah, very dedicated to bio. So... We also have duties we have to do there's certain sports games or dances we're required to attend Mm. those don't take up quite as much time if you're a club advisor that's taking up your lunch at least once a week and maybe after school time yeah um right now i have a teacher on my staff who is pregnant and she's not going to be here next semester and our testing coordinator moves schools (laughs) and so they just came up to her and said you're our testing coordinator And she's like, one, I'm not going to be here next semester. Two, this is a job two people have quit already because of stress. And she's very pregnant. And it's a job where people were either paid or given an extra period off to get it done. And they just told her she's doing it. And that's her extra job now. No, 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 no. So just the amount of extra stuff you have to do or the multiple subjects or grade levels. I used to... When I first started this school, I was teaching three grade levels, three different subject areas Mm. that I was expected to be able to plan in grade four within 50 minutes every day. (laughs) 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 On top of responding to all the emails and dealing with all the extra nonsense I had to do. Yeah. So not a
1: high sense of personal accomplishment.
0: (laughs) No, you always feel like you have stuff to do and like you're not doing enough.
1: And you don't get to, at the end of the day, be like... I got it done. I'm proud of no, how much I got done. I have done. a
0: working to-do list I add to and remove stuff from every day <laughs> of home and work.
1: And then I made you come over here and record this podcast. It's <laughs> Friday. We're fine.
0: I don't do anything on the weekends.
1: <laughs> That's how we uh, eliminate burnout.
0: Oh, and then the last thing. So a way that some teachers will try to to mitigate it is ah. there's a website called Teachers Pay Teachers. Yes. Which is. Uh,
1: there's t- also Therapists Pay Therapists.
0: Which <laughs> <laughs> I've. <laughs> no <laughs> uh, it's 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 interesting. So teachers pay teachers. All these teachers who have made resources and have made these amazing curriculums and amazing things post them on this website. Yeah, and then other teachers buy it. And it's like you get money if you made stuff. You pay money you don't have, but you don't have to plan. So you can buy whole unit yeah. bundles and not have to make or plan anything. You just That's gotta awesome. Grade it
1: it's wonderful i love it's like from a teacher you know you're not just like buying it from a sketchy
0: yeah exactly uh there's also donors choose which is if you need classroom supplies because our government gives us nothing for example for a class of 100 plus students for the year i am given 200 dollars. what yeah (laughs) you know i could i probably could buy one pencil and like maybe a notebook for each kid if I only that's that uh,
1: that's like my grocery budget.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's my tax write off for the year, too. I'm only allowed to write off $200 I spend of my own money. No, no, no. $125. They lowered it. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. So,
1: I'm sorry, guys. I'm shocked by
0: this. Yeah. So if you're wondering why your teacher, your kid's teacher is sending home a list of supplies they need, it's because we can't afford it. We cannot, we do not have enough money oh to buy gosh. stuff for your well,
1: child. I mean, a call to the audience to donate to. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's Which speaking programs. of with donors choose if you head over to donors choose teachers can post basically a wish list of things they need they explain their classroom they explain what they're going to use it for and there's a it's like GoFundMe for teachers yeah of what they need for their classroom it's how I funded my entire class library
1: mm. I am
0: the only library on our campus because they didn't build one when they built our school and we don't have a librarian so I have all of the books for our entire school. It's great. So I'm gonna put the link to donors choose in the bio. Of this episode. Yeah. But here's the thing. Some school districts, because they think teachers are lazy and don't work too hard don't work hard enough, have started banning both those websites. They've what? said you're not allowed to use teachers pay teachers and you can't use donors choose anymore.
1: You're not allowed to use a website that like Mm-mm. you're putting your own money into.
0: Because they say you're not doing your own work. You're plagiarizing, you're teaching bad things to oh the students. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's where we are right now in education folks. If I
1: got called out for plagiarism because of the amount of worksheets I have printed off of the internet to use in like C B T therapy
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> I would insane. be in jail. <laughs> well, and then so my husband at his school site, Donors Choose, is banned, but <gasps> the reasoning The reasoning is the union bargained with the district and is like, we should be able to afford anything that the teachers need. Yeah. So you're supposed to go to the union first for anything that you need for your classroom before you try to get it like funded by parents and stuff. Because then it makes the district look bad if they couldn't give you the stuff. And I'm like, just give us the stuff. Why do we have to ask? You know what a teacher needs. Yeah. Give us basic things. It's like the same things every year. (laughs) Like, I have glue sticks and markers from my first year of teaching and I can't afford to get new ones.
1: Okay, so again, I'm (laughs) going to be link to these things in the description for this episode. I mean, like we hear about this a lot, right? Like the the teachers pay out of their own pocket. But I think it's really good to hear the reality and like actually put numbers on it. Yeah. Because the fact that you not only whatever the school only gives you $200 a year. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that some people don't think that that's like a huge deal. But the fact that then they limit the ability for you to deduct Business expenses, whereas uh, people mm. be out here deducting every lunch they go on yeah. because they talk about their small business. That's insane.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. <sighs> like, I love my tax guy because I just go, I'm a teacher, and he just puts a maximum. And it's just like, yep, you don't even have to. He's like, have the receipts of the IRS. But I know for a fact that you definitely spend all of that. And I was like, I do. That's In crazy. some schools are lucky enough that they have a supply closet of things yeah. that you can raid or order. So my school site does. Um, people forget about it. I had to tell the new teacher, he like, hey, do you know we have a supply closet if you need stuff? And they were like, I bought things. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm so that. sorry. <laughs> we have things. So occasionally they have that, but it's usually not a, cl- like, uh, a set for every kid. It's just a class set. So I have a class set of red pens for my students to do revision, and they have to return them because uh, I need it for the next class.
1: Yeah okay so yeah. yeah it's it's bleak is what it's what you're bad
0: it's bad uh it's different i mean and again about equability equitability uh my husband's school when he taught at private school they got private school money and yeah. donations and it, it varies from private school to private school but they had like whatever they wanted you could just go and ask and they would buy it for you yeah it wasn't really a budget wow
1: yeah, yeah, that is a good point. That's like it might be different in mm-hmm. different states, even different districts or between yeah. schools. Parents um, will donate sometimes. Yeah, but the reality is, is that like most teachers are experiencing this this yeah. difficulty. And the thing is,
0: I teach at a Title One school, so it's low income, and technically we're supposed to get more money for that. Uh, and I'm like, where is that going? Which our superintendent was fired for taking money, so that makes sense. Well, <laughs> yeah, but that'll do it yeah a lot of people also don't know that schools are funded based off the property taxes of the area Mm -hmm. and that's where we get our funding from so yeah. if you're in an area that's mostly apartments or low-income housing, the schools aren't gonna have a lot of money, which is why they came up with right. Title I to start giving funding to low-income areas. Mm. But compared to an affluent area, they're going to get a lot more money because of those property taxes towards those schools. Right. And there's been a lot of redlining of districts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a donut area in Oakland of this one space in the middle of Oakland they have defined a district around that's all high property taxes. so uh, so it's all high property taxes and that those those districts have a lot of money Mm. and Mm -mm. then there's the whole outer ring it's everyone else none of those property taxes it's all low income housing and they their schools are underfunded and don't have good institutions
1: it's horrible and so it's not only that you're fighting against this feeling of like personal accomplishment but of like the system like the system can't get what it's supposed to do done. Our last category of teacher burnout is a sense of depersonalization, which is a feeling, feeling an impersonal response to one's teaching, AKA that students are unreachable and teachers may feel disconnected uh, from their students. I also think I didn't put this in our outline, but I also think that uh, something that's more current that ties into this is a lot of these like don't say gay bills or banning, talking about sexual orientation and gender identity is literally depersonalizing teachers who are often the first contact a kid has with the LGBTQ community can be the first affirming person they meet who, because they're, with your kid all day, it's going to be dealing with these conversations and you're literally like these, not you, <laughs> Jane—not <laughs> <even. laughs> the government or these like boards who've decided that these are, these are the way to move forward are literally taking away people's identity and that's reducing your ability to feel connected to the work that you're doing and to your students as people because you can't be a person.
0: Yeah. there's people who um there's teachers who are gay or lesbians or part of the lgbtq community that can't talk about their home or their lives at all because it goes against the don't say gay bill there's people who are putting up pride flags and are being told to take it down because that goes against it Um, they have to take certain books out of their classrooms Mm -hmm. and it's horrible because there's also you want your classroom to be a safe and inclusive space as a teacher typically yeah with these bills if a student comes up to you and wants to talk about their identity you have to report it to their parent now and now that kid doesn't trust you but if you don't do it you could be fired right and a lot of people are like oh just quit like just leave just get fired like you're doing it for um the greater good and i think like there are teachers who are doing that like that's what part of the big exodus is about and then everybody's looking at them like oh wait they did it what like, they actually left because of this? Or there's some who are stuck because they want to try to be there for the kids who don't get a choice in the matter. Like, kids don't yeah. get to choose to go to school.
1: I uh, know. They, they legally have to go to school. <laughs> they legally have to.
0: And they're stuck in these environments and trying to show ways to support them while still abiding by the law, um, but also still trying to protest what's what's going on is the hard balancing act some teachers are trying to pull. Yeah. Then there's states, like, I think it's Indiana where i feel worse for the history teachers there because they have to submit all curriculum and all text everything they're going to do yeah In some places the summer before and some it's a couple weeks before there's a timeline and you have to submit it and get it approved by the school board to Mm. do any of it or in some cases to the community as well so parents can veto what you're teaching their child and a lot of times they ban all current events because they mm. say that's too political. And I know there's history teachers who teach like civics. Yeah. <laughs> and are saying, how do I teach civics if I can't show the news or, or current politics. events? Yeah. And need to get it approved a month in advance. Like, do I need to predict the future of what's going to happen yeah. to show the news? Do I show it a month late? Like, it's not current anymore. Yeah. And all of the reading has to be textbook, which, as we know, textbooks are always accurate and, and right so 100% fun to read. <laughs> the time And so fun to read. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a nightmare for teachers in a lot of different states right now. Like, I'm lucky enough to be in California where it's, you know, it sucks, but it's not as bad.
1: Because you can be yourself. Yeah. And not have to, like,
0: because people can have a pride flag and say they're sexual oriented say i have a husband or a wife
1: yeah or um, or like i go by they them instead of yeah something else yeah still,
0: i mean it depends where you are in california i've had some co cowork- like some friends who are like i will not say i have a wife and i am a lady because i don't have tenure yet
1: right and so mm-hmm. you add on top of that this like i don't know if my job is gonna be here even if my state as a whole is protected like my regional area may be a little more conservative or may be a little anti-LGBTQ so I can't be myself. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like, although this is part of like the teacher burnout model, this is like something that can be very burny out (laughs) in any job Mm -hmm. is if you start to feel like you don't get to be yourself and this is like all up and down the economic spectrum, right? Like if you work in a factory and all you do is like every day, the same Action over and over again. you start to lose a sense of who you are. Yes, and that's why people in jobs naturally like gravitate toward socializing, happy hours after work, or going lunch together, sitting together, having inside jokes. like you know you don't you're not we're not all best friends with everyone in our office, but like no. work friends are a thing. and part of that is to develop your own sense of self and your own identity. And from what you've shared with me about teaching as well, like it can even be hard to make those connections with teachers because mm-hmm. the only off time you have is when you're working on your own stuff. And then you're going to the only meetings you're going to are to get yelled at about grit and stamina. Yeah. Usually <laughs> when are you forming bonds?
0: We come together to complain, and that's where we bond. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, my school were lucky enough to have a nutrition break in high school. Mm. And a lot of high schools don't have that. They just go through classes, have lunch classes, and then you're done. Yeah. So we have a 15-minute nutrition. Normally, that's too short. Because remember, teachers, we can't take bathroom for, like, breaks. <laughs> and my school schedule is a block schedule. So we teach two hours okay. with the students. So periods one, three, five. the next day is two, four, six, and then back and forth. So two full hours with these kids, they can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> and usually nutrition is us all running to the bathroom, scarfing down a snack, yeah. chugging some water. <laughs> And running back to teach. So the 15 minutes is gone for nutrition. I rarely go to talk to anybody. Lunch is half an hour. Which really, it's more, I think, like 25 minutes because of passing periods. Okay. And the thing is, usually you're doing something to prep for your next class. Like my students come in at the end of class, I'm always collecting something, so I have to file that away somewhere after they've all left. I make sure they've all left safely. I put all their papers somewhere. I have to move the stuff for the next class and get whatever I need to ready, set up my PowerPoint. If it's a completely different subject, I might have to completely change that. Right. However, I need to, so that might take like five minutes. And then I go to the restroom because I get a break. Um, and by the time I sit down, usually I have like 15 minutes. And then we all want to because we all also want to leave early to be in our classroom before the kids get there. And so we have to run back and forth between our break rooms and the classroom. Some teachers just sit in the classroom, too, and eat alone and yeah. are like, you're my coworkers, not my friends. Absolutely fine. Like, yeah. Totally up to you. But then there's also that issue of we're surrounded, we're socializing all day, but it's with teenagers. Yeah. Like, it's, it's the complete. Same. That's who I socialize with the most is teenagers all day. Yeah. In two hour blocks, <laughs> like six hours of talking with teenagers. And don't get me wrong, they can be fascinating. And there's yeah. a lot of great stories. At least I like high school because they're like becoming people at this yeah. age <laughs> um but yeah talking to actual adults who are teachers i probably only get about 15 minutes of talking with an adult wow
1: day. that's and then crazy I go home
0: to my husband and we just sleep
1: <laughs> yeah, you both are like enough yeah <laughs> enough talking yeah
0: yeah and it's like
1: i know there's a lot of other stuff that also impacts depersonalization but i think we've talked about a lot of it and it's just yeah all of these things come together to form burnout which is driving people away Mm -hmm. so one of the other things that I also wanted to spend some time on talking about is the nature and how we talk about the teaching exodus in the media because this is like a you know pop culture podcast (laughs) so like the way in which the narrative is about the exodus I think and based on the literature I was reading it contributes to these factors like Mm -hmm. it's depersonalizing it's deaccomplishing and it's emotionally exhausting the way that people talk about teachers and we've like touched on it a little bit as we've talked, but I wanted to like highlight some of the messages we get about teachers that I want my listeners to be aware of when they're watching the news or hearing some of this discourse. So the first one is that often media or news pieces about teachers portrays teachers as low achieving and teaching as an unfavorable job. And I know we've... <laughs> Talked about the dark side of teaching a little bit in this podcast, but I also wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of respond of like, what is it like when all that you hear on the news or from parents or on social media is like, you are, have like an easy job, and even you're even then you can't do it? Oh <laughs> what is that I mean, like?
0: It, it's that whole thing of people saying those who can't do teach, and then I want to rip their head off. <laughs> it's it's awful like even I even feel bad because PE teachers get it so bad too because they Mm. think all they do is run around and play dodgeball with the kids and our PE teachers are off doing health articles and are having Mm. the kids analyze like their fitness and how to be safe and stuff but anyway we work really hard to stay up to date on our curriculum and on our pedagogy because we don't get that through our work training, I have a library of books I have just on how to teach that I've found myself and taught myself or kept from college because I'm always trying to make sure. And it's that that feeling of always wanting to do the best for the students, the for the kids of... (laughs) Wanting to be using the most engaging practices, using mm-hmm. research-based strategies, which I'm sure if any teachers hear that are going to cringe because it's used in PDs in a bad way, but in a, <laughs> in the good way of like actual research-based strategies that are helping and are shown to help students. Yeah. And just hearing like you get summers off, it, like, oh, that makes it so much. But like, they think we only work the school hours of 8.30 to three thirty, five right. five days a week. and oh it's so easy. We only get 50 minutes a day to prep. We are working after school and yeah. before school and through most of our breaks at times. And so they there's just a lot of assumptions about teaching that aren't true. And with summers, well, first, we don't get paid during summers. Teachers it's are on enough. a 10 or 11 month contract. Yeah. And most teachers I know will do so, do something during summer, at least their first few years of teaching when you're making less, they'll do summer school. Mm -hmm. and teach all of July Um, they might have a side gig that they do like I have digital art and I twitch stream and that's partly for additional income and all kinds of like different educational related stuff we might be helping set up the schedule or set up the school year for the next year anything to get that month of missing income and or
1: hustling so- to find another job because your temporary contract yeah. is going away. Your, uh,
0: yeah, my first few years of teaching, all summer was going back and forth between my mom's house and then different job districts. I was just trying to find a job in until I finally got the job that hired me again the next year. because yeah. it it took until the third district for them to actually keep me on the TC contract, the temporary contract, and then eventually give me tenure. Yeah, but. Like there, there is, there are still teachers who they feel that burnout. Uh, I don't think, like, I don't think anyone goes into teaching already deciding like they're not going to teach or not care about the kids or not do anything. <laughs> right. right. Cause we, we've, we've all had that teacher or met that teacher that doesn't teach the curriculum or is mean to the kids or it just isn't good at their job.
1: Yeah.
0: And I don't know. I don't know if they, I, I can't see them starting that way cause you don't get in teaching for the money so at some point you went into it because you liked your subject or you like kids yeah and it just turned some people into just jaded burnt out people who can't get out because they're stuck in those contracts or they're stuck in what else can i do because they've been told so much that they're low achieving and teachers can't do anything else that they feel they can't leave the job
1: yeah, that message then is what traps them there mm-hmm. and then they kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. They live up to the your yeah. low achieving or, or whatever message that's mm-hmm. out there. Another thing that often is a theme in the way that the media covered covers teaching is this focus on low pay, stress and bad students, mm-hmm. which in some cases discourages people from becoming teachers because why like you said, no one gets in it for the money, so if I know I'm not going to get paid and then I, all I'm hearing are these stories about how bad the kids are, why would I do this job? There's literally nothing to pull me into doing it.
0: Yeah. Uh, it is the fulfillment of it when you have it. and I, I was talking to a friend when I was first trying to, to get out of teaching for a little bit. Luckily, I'm having a good school year. But that's the thing it's this growing pros and cons list mm. <laughs> of all of the things you have to deal with all of the bureaucracy all of the nonsense and then those just good moments where you make a connection with a student where they give you a letter or give you a stupid sticker and tell you that like you're the only teacher who's ever helped them or understood them mm. and you're like Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> and you close the tab to Indeed. <laughs> Go, I guess I'll stick it out another day. You're
1: right back in,
0: and it's a constant hour to hour, sometimes minute to minute change, and mm. it, it's just so much whiplash too of of the great parts of teaching and just the horrifying parts. But I guess I keep coming back to it. Just it is for the kids as much as I keep saying it. yeah, It's just those, those moments of connection and getting to read their writing and actually seeing them grow and being like, I'm helping these little humans. And I have students who I tell them, when you graduate, you can follow me on social media mm. and I tell me how you're doing. So I have students now who are graduates and are out in the world doing things and they'll still message me and talk to me about impactful lessons or things they still think Aww. about that I taught them. And... It's this idea of with education being compulsory and students having to be there, like we want as teachers to create a society that is functioning <laughs> and is hopefully, at least in my case, I hope that they're empathetic and willing to help others. Yeah. And just even having like one little gremlin turn into someone who's going to help other little gremlins not be <laughs> that way is an extremely fulfilling process. Yeah. But it also, you know, it's at the point where I know a lot of teachers who tell people who are going to become teachers either marry someone who makes more than you <laughs> or live at home the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's not a great encouragement. No.
1: <laughs> and maybe it's not just media messages but the messages we're telling each other. <laughs> yeah, about teaching. Yeah. But yeah, like I don't know if I've ever seen a like local news piece that's like hey teacher let's interview local teachers or how much they like love their jobs and what they what they get out of it i think you see more of it on social media when you see teachers kind of sharing the ups and downs but when teachers are constantly being attacked in the media then Mm -hmm. you have to go on this defensive in a way where you don't get to talk about like some of that stuff like about what your what your really hopes and dreams are for this job
0: and we we cry with students and for students all the time the things that they go through yeah and the amount a lot of us like i would always say that there's more teachers who care and want to make a difference than there are the other way around like the fact that they're just sticking with it most of the time and like we have our own ups and downs we're also people that are experiencing our own mental health journeys in the midst of all this yeah I think that's
1: where like teachers and therapists are really similar where it's like, yeah, the job can be really hard and we need to complain about it. But at the end of the day, we went in for for a reason yeah. and we're people like yeah. we can't be perfect just because of the job we yeah. picked. You have to get, there has to be space for us to be people. Yeah. Too. Absolutely. The last thing that I, I wanted to mention is um that coverage in the news rarely focuses on, first of all, teachers who do stay, Mm -hmm. and then it rarely ever directly quotes teachers. It's typically quoting union officials or higher-ups, and I'm actually gonna insert in a news clip here. The men and women who educate our children are increasingly burnt out, struggling with the aftermath of two-plus years of the pandemic, increasing scrutiny over curriculums that has put many of them at the center of educational culture wars, not to mention fears for their own safety, and oh, by the way, there's always that issue of low pay. Nationwide, there are more than 280,000 fewer teachers now than at the start of the pandemic. 280,000! That's according to the Department of Labor. That is a crisis that is impacting school systems in both urban areas and rural areas. Getting to the root cause of what's causing these teacher shortages may be difficult because it's all over the map. But perhaps even more challenging is determining the effect of those shortages, and more importantly, how to fill the vacancies. Let me bring in a couple of superintendents. Um, From a broadcast I found on, well, it was on YouTube, but it's like a CNN broadcast. Mm-hmm. And the guy, I think it's Chuck Todd, is like mm-hmm. introing like teacher crisis and flashing on the screen all these like states and how many teacher vacancies they have. And then he goes, I've got three superintendents to come talk about the, I mean the, the crisis. People who
0: are only in the classroom for three years. <laughs> yeah. Thanks.
1: And it's like, yeah, I hear a lot of school officials On the news, I hear a lot of union officials, and I understand the point of the union is to be able to, like, speak up for the profession, but, like, how often do you hear a teacher getting interviewed?
0: So, partly for that, the union tells us not to talk to the news. Gotcha. Uh, Typically, we're not allowed to about anything, and often, if we are, a teacher might get fired or reprimanded because they think that the views of the teacher reflect the views of the district, so the union wants to reflect the views of the teacher. So they have to vote on what they're going to say, essentially, and represent the teachers. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. Um, Superintendents and administrators have their own completely separate union, too. Mm. like They're actually not a part of the teachers' union. Mm. So their needs and what their representation says is often different. Mm. And, yeah, there's just a lot of people also in higher up education positions who have been out of the classroom for a really long time or weren't in it that long to begin yeah. with uh for example i know they hired the god i think it's yeah yeah, yeah it's in, in biden's cabinet the new Like, Mm. education administrator, (laughs) educational secretary, or whatever. Yeah. We were all excited to see the last lady go, because all she did was give money to charters. (laughs) And we get this new guy. We're like, yes, new guy. Jill is a teacher. We're going to get a new person. They're going to be great. This is so exciting. It was a person who was only in the classroom for five years. Mm. They immediately became a principal. Then they became a superintendent. Then they became in charge of their state. And then now they're the education secretary. And it's like they were part of a district that I think only had a couple thousand kids, too. So it wasn't even a big or a diverse population. And that's just a metaphor for all of education. (laughs) Um, But I also think that is why social media has become a bigger platform for teachers, which has its pros and cons. Uh, I like being able to see what my teacher friends post and see the highs and lows of what they go through. And we can complain together or celebrate together, talk about like what medication we take together (laughs) (laughs) um but there's a downside of teacher influencers have started sprouting up Mm -hmm. which leads to that depersonalization of teachers who are always posting like look how great my classroom looks and look at these activities i'm always doing Um, and how happy i am and it makes us think like well why am i not that brightly colored happy teacher all the time like this person is yeah Uh, and a lot of the time these are people who aren't full-time in the classroom and have the time to do all this stuff So that's a a big thing to remember. But yeah, just just with it all, I think social media and blogs, a lot of teachers, we love to write, guys. We love making (laughs) YouTube channels. There's a lot of retired teachers or teachers who quit that have made YouTube channels because that makes more money than teaching. And (laughs) there's some really, really interesting stuff they have to say. And that's honestly where to turn the most aside from asking your teacher friend that you probably have about what we think about what's going on uh you yeah sh- you know, you sh- sometimes if it's a good union they represent what we're thinking but not always.
1: and the priorities are different yeah. between you know who's getting interviewed but i think that yeah it's just something to keep in mind when we're watching these like conversations happen and even with like before the teacher exodus conversation was all over the place it was like these school board meetings where parents were showing up being like absolute maniacs about books and climate change and stuff
0: oh the teacher who the parent who emailed me for years and now the school board finally has to deal with that yeah yeah
1: (laughs) and like even the coverage of that is like not focused on well what would it be like to be the teacher that probably has been dealing with this person for however many years that they've been their kid has been the school system like it's just it the coverage of teachers is not always the whole picture and so i think that's great advice of like if you have a teacher friend ask them what's going on and if you don't like there's tons of people that are putting out great content on the internet for you to learn about.
0: There's a subreddit for teachers that they'll talk about stuff a lot of the time. Usually it's venting. I wouldn't actually recommend going on it because it's like a place (laughs) where a lot of teachers will just go to just vent or ask for advice and it's an outlet so it's not completely representative of the positive experiences but there'll be a lot of posts about laws or news about education and teaching. I think Our education is one too. Um, Yeah. Where there'll be comments from actual teachers who have the flair of like where they teach, and they'll talk about their views or their experiences or like how certain laws are affecting them if they're in that state.
1: Which is probably sometimes you hear it from it there first, then from (laughs) your district or whatever is going on.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, in the vein of maybe some more positive information. Now that we've talked a lot about, like, this burnout that's driving teachers away, what can we do to protect against burnout? Mm-hmm. And number one, pay these people. <laughs> pay these teachers Please. more. And not just payment. Like, what I found in the literature I was reading was it wasn't just about, like, paying teachers more, but offering incentives that match the intensity of the need of the district you're at yeah and you've mentioned this like with the title one schools or like certain neighborhoods where you're teaching those teachers may need not just more pay but training opportunities leadership opportunities other types of support like maybe having mentors that are not there just to do your induction but having real support from each other and incentives to stay in your job for a long amount of time
0: yeah i know like in uh at the time of this columbus ohio is having a teacher strike right now Mm. and it's because of the conditions of their classrooms Mm. so there was a parent actually who put together a video of the classrooms with like holes and water water leaking Mm. out and like heaters being broken like radiators that were sat next to students where they could get burns if they were too close um measuring the temperature of the classrooms which were at like 95 degrees because the ac hadn't been working so making sure those are fixed not just for teachers working in those conditions but students who yeah like want a safe place to learn and not a place that's falling apart or is too warm or too cold to work in i actually really like so recently in new mexico they started a system for specifically teacher pay Mm -hmm. because in a lot of states the problem is teachers aren't even making a living wage um, right now the lowest pay I think is in Mississippi and their average is forty 40- their average, not lowest, their average is forty five thousand for a teacher. <laughs> and there's a bunch of other states under fifty thousand, including Florida, which explains a lot. But <laughs> the tiered system in New Mexico is actually a great step in the right direction. Okay. Which is setting up these minimums for your experience levels. Okay. And they have it right now, I think it'd be like a twenty percent increase with what they passed or proposed. And one year you're paid a minimum of fifty thousand. Okay. New Mexico's pretty good. After three to five years, minimum of sixty thousand. Okay. And experienced teachers, which fulfillment for experience could be around six to seven years, you would get seventy thousand. Wow, okay. And somebody did the equivalence for California, and that would be at one year you make eighty six thousand.
1: Woo hoo! Three cost to five years high. is a
0: hundred and four thousand. Okay. And experience is one hundred and twenty one, which,
1: which would be that fantastic. first year
0: level is already more than I make as a seventh year teacher. Oh god, that, that hurts. So yeah, uh, a and living the, and wage the- would be a good start.
1: Yeah, and it's different because in New Mexico you could have yeah. a very nice life on 50 grand but you can't do that in california especially in southern california yeah
0: because the the highest paid teachers are in california and new york with an average salary of eighty five thousand. yeah but those are also two of the highest states if not the highest to live in right so our highest paid district is san francisco but teachers Mm. we're having the issue where teachers can't afford to live in the city they teach in that's insane. Yeah. So I think at least meeting that threshold would be great. <laughs> but yeah, there are a lot of teachers that they're like, look, I don't need to make five hundred thousand dollars a year or three hundred a year. Yeah. Sure, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. But it's enough that like I can pay off my loans, I can afford a home, yeah. I can make a living wage, I can live in the city I work in, yeah. and then giving those supplemental resources of like, hey, I'm putting together a classroom library. Can I have money instead of making like a GoFundMe essentially? Yeah. Can I have markers? <laughs> can I have money to decorate my classroom? Because any teacher that has decorated a classroom has paid for that out of their own pocket. Yeah. Um, so if you ever had a teacher that you complained their classroom looks boring, it's because they could, could or would not pay for it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're priori- maybe they're prioritizing that two hundred dollars in a different way. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, I think incentives and just a living wage would be wonderful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're talking bare minimum here. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that, and this actually, all of these recommendations come from this uh, article by uh, Barry B which was called five lessons on the educator exodus. And he was talking about essentially like, obviously it's not the teachers that are the fault, the problem, it's the system. Mm. And so the second thing he recommends is use team-based approaches and so teachers benefit from an inter- interdisciplinary system that allows them to learn from each other and get support for students across all areas, like mental health, medical, social, emotional needs, etc. And I put in all caps, a comment on our outline, <laughs> just like how the cops aren't supposed to handle everything. Why are teachers supposed to handle everything? And that's yeah. a little, you know, shout out to the conversation that we had as a country about defunding the police, which yeah. did not go well. No. Um, but like one of the points that, that comes up that I agree with is like, we can't expect the police to like handle mental health crises and medical emergencies and like
0: we're not trained that well.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And we can't expect teachers to do the same thing either. And I know that you've told me stories about kids that were, you've almost been like, I like asking for help of like this kid Mm -hmm. is having a mental health crisis. I don't know what to do. And if only there was someone you could hand that kid off to, to be like, Hey, thanks for coming to me because you know me. I'm your point of contact, but I'm going to now connect you to the member of my team mm-hmm. who can help you out. And you don't have that right now.
0: Yeah, every time that something has happened, I the only reason I know how to handle a mental health crisis is from when I was a resident advisor in college, and we had more yeah. training on how to handle mental health than I've had as a teacher. Yeah. Rough. So I have had... In this school alone three cases of students approaching me with like suicidal ideation two ended up with 5150s Mm. um and then all three came back to my classroom they're all doing well right now which is awesome but in each case like i had to ask those questions i was trained to ask and i had to help them and i had to leave my classroom in some cases sometimes it was during class or it was after school and when it was after school, sometimes they wouldn't be on people on campus and we'd never been trained or told what to do if there was a crisis in our classroom. We still haven't been. I have never been physically trained on this. I have had to ask, mm. what is our policy for what you expect me to do? I actually just asked this again last week because we have new administration and I said, is it the same? Mm. Like, what do you want us to do? Yeah. And so we're supposed to, at my school side at least, take them to the counselors who they are academic guidance counselors, by the way, hmm. and sometimes like they sometimes they have degrees or training, Usually they have some degree of training in like mental health, um, but they're supposed to be the ones who are in charge of reporting it. Additionally, a lot of people don't know that like school site psychologists and even the school site nurses. Are rotating. They usually are in charge of the entire secondary or entire high school system. Yeah. So even for nurses, we used to make a joke to the kids like, "Only break your leg on a Thursday because we don't have the nurse till then." <laughs> yeah. uh, or the we were talking about before this like our psychologist, she can only take certain insurances. Yeah, like otherwise, if the kid has other insurances, the parents are expected to get their kid mental health services. And like I've talked about, sometimes the parents are the reason that the kid needs the services
1: yeah and it's <laughs> not going to take them to and mental they're not health services take them. Yeah. like
0: most times that's the issue is the parents won't take them i have yeah. parents who say i don't believe in mental health which i'm like it's not a belief system sir. <laughs> <laughs> not it's a, actually not a a science i just had that conversation last year with two with a, a child and her parents who i was saying like she's trying to come to you for help and she needs to hear me the teacher yeah. by the way having this conversation with the parents as if yeah. it's my job of informing them that their child should probably get mental health services and the parents telling me like no you're ridiculous like we're not going to do that you don't know anything versus if it came from a mental health professional maybe they would take it better but probably not but (laughs) yeah so same with uh like i always have to have a first aid kit in my classroom i have to have an emergency kit for drills Fun fact, my school is was built right next to the train tracks. And so we have a drill for if the train derails. So I have to have plans for that.
1: Good. <laughs>
0: Good, great.
1: And plus in California earthquake. I know. Earthquake we have drills. California
0: earthquake drills. We there is the national earthquake drill day in October that we every school in California at the same time has to do the drill. Yeah. So there's <laughs> there's a lot of hats. And mental health is, I think, the biggest one yeah. that we need help with, especially post-COVID. We came back with everyone being aware of all these issues in mental health. And we were we were physically seeing them in our classrooms of kids having panic attacks with no prompting, just it being quiet or them not being by their phone or having to like do a problem they hadn't seen before would set them off. And they just kept telling us buzzwords of like, oh, do social emotional learning. Like, on top of all your curriculum and everything else you have to do, yeah. teach them how to handle their mental health. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't handle mine, my guy. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm going to therapy just to learn how to use therapy techniques with my kids at this oh, point. Yeah. Oh, oof, <laughs> oof. So mental health is the biggest thing. We just, we really, really need like basic training in of what like what to ask the kids and where to take them I think would be the biggest things I and I was at a school that their way of handling it was if the kid comes to you with any mental health shut them down immediately and tell and take them to the counselor like tell them you're not a therapist you can't help them yeah and I was like they're the they don't know the counselor they're coming to me because they trust me and they feel comfortable enough to tell me this stuff and you're telling me to just shut them down yeah and that's gonna make them feel worse so and
1: I can say from the side of like having worked in many interdisciplinary settings because that's uh, I prefer that I prefer like a more integrated health setting where you work with like medical and social workers and case managers it has its challenges obviously it's like hard to communicate but there I've never been like upset when like a medical provider comes to me and says like oh like the patient that we share told me something during their medical evaluation that is like of a mental health concern and I'm just letting you know or like they wanted me to tell you mm-hmm. I've never been upset by that because then it's like fantastic I have more information about this person because whatever was happening they were more comfortable with that nurse or that doctor at the time yeah. and are okay with me knowing about it so we can we can bring it up and I've also learned that like the people who like the patients or the clients or whoever like this in your case would be the students. Mm they like that they like being able to only have to tell one person yeah, and then they don't the whole team relive knows.
0: that like trauma in some cases of having to tell it multiple times yeah or the, or the anxiety if it's their first time telling it
1: and there are super some like i actually have some colleagues that do in classroom mindfulness uh trainings like mm. they come to a school and they do like a few week program with the kids it's usually for much younger kids um but they come and they teach them like simple things of like how to notice that your body is upset how to notice like an emotion and then little interventions and one of these uh people that does this i actually worked as her research assistant and like she gets good results like she publishes about it too like kids are able to learn very quickly it gives the teacher a break because someone's coming in to run
0: (laughs) (laughs) that would be another thing like bringing people in like that yeah be super helpful um not just giving us a break but like having professionals that could come into the classroom and and talk to the kids about a a multitude of things is such a great resource like instead you know i had a pd that taught me about mindfulness and had us breathe together and then said go teach the kids and all of us were like excuse me yeah like we are not trained on on this and this is not going to come great coming from us or they're like we're going to replace all of detention with mindfulness breathings and the (laughs) teachers are in charge and that's we're amazing. like, you mean the kid who just hit someone? Walk and talk or breathe it out. Walk talk, breathe <laughs> it out. And that's, yeah. So having like the actual professionals coming in to to like teach us that and teach students that and having those resources, like that's, that's the thing we need the most. It's just those resources that we're lacking. Yeah. One of my classes in college was... We had to make a binder of the district we were student teaching for with all of the resources of the entire city area that our kids were a part of. Yeah. So if a kid came up to us asking for something, we could pull the pamphlet from our binder and give it to them. And
1: that's social work. Like that's what social work is. We were social
0: (laughs) workers, basically. They were like, you need something for pregnancy, for food, for homelessness, for if they ask about call, like everything. We needed every single, like if they're bored and they want to like go out with family, everything. We needed to have a binder full of pamphlets Yeah. versus like I've been at schools that they have someone who's in charge of that and has an entire center just full of pamphlets for students. And I could just send the student there and be like, go learn. And to ask questions from
1: the person who knows those things.
0: Like, please let me pull pamphlets for the city I can't afford to live in but teach in (laughs) to get (laughs) my students.
1: I do want to say, just because we've been talking about like adolescent mental health and some of my listeners are teenagers. Hmm per my demographic breakdown I actually think some of them are your husband's students oh are they really yeah because he, he shared, he shared, share he shared the podcast um, <laughs> but like if you are if you're like a 13 to 17 year old just know that there are ways for you to get mental health treatment without your parents knowing what you talk about so one of the things one of the big barriers for teens is they are afraid that if they go see a therapist the therapist has to tell their parents uh what they say what they report mm-hmm. there are exceptions to that so if your parent if you don't want your parent to know what you're talking about in therapy, you can keep it private from them, especially in the case of abuse. So like if that is your abuser, then your therapist doesn't have to disclose. And if the child is unfortunately experiencing pregnancy Mm -hmm. due to um, sexual assault, that is protected. You can get services for that and the parent will not be notified. Mm -hmm. So although a therapist is a mandated reporter and we have to report if, teachers too you guys have to report if a child is being abused the uh, reporting does not apply to your parents so if you are in a situation situation. like that and you need therapy you can go get it and they won't tell your parents now make sure with your agency that you're seeking mental health from like double check what their rules are about that but the state standard is uh minors can seek therapy especially over the age of 13 And the parents don't have to be notified, particularly that they're not paying for it as well. So if you know you have Medi-Cal, you can go get therapy. And if your parent is not paying for it, they have no right to your record. So that's just a little PSA out there for my teens. that's
0: the thing, too, is like there's with teaching, I don't mind when a student comes up to me and tells me, like, these are the problems I'm having. And I want advice and I want these things. It's more like from my job i would like the support of knowing how i can help this kid and being trained on it because i want them to feel safe and happy and in a good learning environment and then i would like the mental health support (laughs) afterwards as well because i've had years where i've worked at schools where it's just like constant reporting all the time yeah and like i'm there to help the kids and i want to do what i can but then i get home and I need to go somewhere where I can also talk to someone and have that space and that's not provided to teachers.
1: Yeah. And let's just, like, be clear. It sucks to be a mandated reporter. Oh, it, yeah. It yeah. sucks. I feel
0: like I'm, like, ultimate betrayal whenever I do it, even though I know it's helping.
1: Ultimate betrayal. And yeah. there's nothing worse than when you have to, you break the confidentiality, you have to make a report, and then nothing happens. Uh. Yeah, because I like yeah, I worked with happened. adolescents for a year and I had to report sometimes and then the kid would come back to our program and be like, yeah, so DCFS showed up and then nothing happened. And I'm yeah. like, I'm sorry, like I legally had to do that and I'm so sorry. And yeah, obviously we do it to protect people, but like know that your teachers and your therapists are not running around firing yeah. off <laughs> reports like we don't want to have to do it. No, we do it to keep you safe and we do we do it because someone needs to know that this is happening to you.
0: I've gotten to the point that when my students are writing personal essays or memoirs or anything, I tell them before they start the writing process, I'm a mandated reporter. Yeah. So if you talk about like abuse or harm, I have to report that here's who it goes to. I'm not discouraging you from telling me about it, but I've heard of incidences where kids have written these things. The teacher had to report it. And then they were like, I thought this was confidential as for my essay. And it's like, Uh, No, (laughs) it's
1: not confidential. Yeah, it's not. Now, as therapist, I don't have to report if you did a crime in the past, so just know that. Yeah, no,
0: I've had (laughs) students talk to me about like stealing stuff all the time, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's not reportable.
1: Okay, the last one that Barry recommends is giving leadership opportunities that don't require teachers to do more work outside of their classroom, and you have been talking about this TOSA thing and I would love for you to share more of this about that.
0: Okay. So this is how I was trying to leave the classroom. I'm still kind of trying it too. I just need, (laughs) I need a break guys. (laughs) Hire Jane. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There is a position there are pros and cons to it in every district. It's variable. I'm still trying to learn how it is in my district and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but a TOSA stands for a teacher on special assignment. So you're still technically a teacher. You're on the salary schedule for teaching but the thing is, if you work any hour or minute outside of contract hours, you get paid your hourly rate for it, which Woo-hoo. should be how it is for all teachers. <laughs> but with the TOSA, you have a specific position you or department within the DO, within the district office, you are tasked with doing. So the one I'm looking at right now is a teacher on special assignment that is in charge of English language arts. So I would essentially be, um, it might be called an, an instructional coach in other areas, mm and their job is to research the strategies and pass out the resources to the teachers. So I'm like, teachers pay teachers, but you don't have to pay me. The district pays me and the teachers don't. Right. So district pays teachers. Like they should be the first place. <laughs> um, So that's supposedly what my job would be. And I've heard of this working really, really well in some districts where some people yeah. are like, I've had an amazing instructional coach who has helped us pilot our new textbook, who's helped give us resources all the time, will just come in our classroom and like listen to our needs and get that for us and then i've heard some who are roadblocked by districts and end up just kind of doing district grant work and not actually what they're hired for so always look out for kind of within the bounds of working as a teacher like check with your district and check with people who have worked in it whether they're actually doing what's detailed in their job yeah But I think the idea of it is great, and that could fill a lot of the needs of having outside resources, of having just some teachers who have been hired, even like rotating, because I feel like sometimes we all just need a year off of giving someone that almost like sabbatical position of just researching and helping and being an advocate for the teaching staff, because having that in between teachers and admin can be a really important voice to have. Yeah is a, a great role that that should be looked into but you know a lot of times people will don't use it properly or don't quite know what to do with it or are so busy that they just put other job responsibilities on that job yeah but i think it, i think it's a a good start like it's a good position to mold and try to figure out within education yeah as looking at that support for teachers in particular
1: yeah and i think it's good that you know i found all this these recommendations but then you know like you're pointing out there are already things that are kind of in place Mm -hmm. that could get us to a place where teachers are incentivized and taken care of and well resourced and so these are big more like policy or structural changes but the framework is there right Mm -hmm. it's like i don't think the education system needs to be like abolished and restarted i think there are like Places for it to improve.
0: Yeah, I think there's, like, a lot of people have the good research out there and the good um, ideas. It's having the time and having the funds and resources to actually be able to follow through and be consistent. Which is the biggest thing we learn as teachers is like literally consistency is key in everything that we do to make something work. Mm -hmm. And we're told that and we have three hour long PDs on it and then (laughs) it's it's not done in our own district. So, yeah. And I mean it comes with the turnover as well. It's not just teachers who are leaving. There's a huge exodus of classified staff of people in the district office and people who are... um, Just working for schools that are leaving, and so the ins and outs of these people who are supposed to be in charge, people can't follow through with policies or don't know Mm -hmm. like what's supposed to happen anymore.
1: Yeah, you're not. You need consistency all up and down Mm -hmm. the chain. So those are those were like the bigger, like I think, long term strategies to think about. That obviously, like you and me, are not going to change today. Um, but are things that I think for people to think about, but some short term strategies for reducing burnout. And this is, this can be helpful for whatever like profession you're in, particularly if you are in a like helping profession, Mm -hmm. um, but for teachers, one thing that can really prevent burnout is strong interpersonal relationships between teachers and supervisors. Mm -hmm. Um, this I think is difficult in the situation you've described where like, there's no principals or vice principals.
0: Yeah we with with a lot of turnover like last year we started our school year with no principal um, because ours had moved up to the district office which is another thing that needs to be incentivized is there's so many stepping stones for going up in education yeah that nobody stays as an administrator in the schools like principal turnover is so big and vice principal turnover because all they're trying to do is stepping stone from teacher to maybe TOSA to vice principal to principal to the district office. And so they're always leaving behind open principal positions. Gotcha. And there's that lack of consistency and that lack of relationship. Yeah. Like they don't have an attachment to the school or to the teachers because they're only going to be there for three years until they try to move on up.
1: Yeah. But while they're
0: there, they can focus on... Yeah. It's not just about like a good
1: working relationship, but like a feeling that your principal cares about you as a person.
0: That's a big deal. My mom still makes fun of me because I got really frustrated <laughs> her with her once and said something stupid, which was because uh, I was looking at schools and I think we found a review that the principal was bad. And she was like, Oh, shouldn't, you shouldn't go there. Like, there's some really bad stuff about the principal. You shouldn't apply. Yeah. And I was like, The principal doesn't matter, mom. Like, I was just tired <laughs> of having that conversation. And I had the worst principles ever my first year of teaching <laughs> that made my life miserable and she loves bringing it up of being like remember that time when you said the principal doesn't matter and then you had those experiences and like, thanks mom
1: and you're like now I know the principal makes now I know goal. now I understand
0: <laughs> and just a principal having your back when a parent comes after you or like mm. when you say like a student is exhibiting this behavior and getting the resources or getting the consequences will make your job a thousand times easier and like knowing when you say like i am burnt out right now i can't do this thing you're telling me and saying okay you don't have to which i'm starting to get that vibe from our newer principal which i appreciate i hope she continues to do it of like i had a a co-worker who came to a meeting and was like hey is it okay if i leave a little early like my son's sick right now and she was like leave why'd you even come to school (laughs) Like, why are you, go home, you yeah. have a baby, like, go home. And he's like, well, no, my wife's with him right now. And she's like, go home or your wife will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Relieve her of sick baby watching duty. So she's she's pretty um, open to when people have, you know, life occurring yeah. or mental health stuff. And I think that support is really big compared to a lot of, admin can be very by the book or they're trying to look good for whatever position they want to apply for or be very professional and serious it's like we teach teenagers dude like we can (laughs) we can calm it down it's fine um that 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 relationship and having our back and knowing what we go through is really really important
1: yeah yeah and it's like it's in the research but it's also in your lived experience of like knowing how that relationship can really change the experience you have in the school year. Absolutely. The second thing that's recommended for reducing burnout is to reduce your avoidance of either conflict or reduce your avoidance of taking action as avoidance is strongly related to increased burnout. Now I'm going to go ahead and say right now that I'm very guilty of doing this, even though I'm not an educator. (laughs) Yes. I love nothing more than coming home, seeing my inbox full of emails and going, (laughs) <laughs> not today. No, no. Not not today. But what happens is like you do that enough times, your work piles up, and now you're you're like really stewing in it. And it's the same for conflict, right? Like if something is going on with at work with like maybe a coworker or even like with a principal or a student of like the more you avoid the conflict, the worse it's gonna get. And those three areas of burnout we talked about are gonna be influenced by that like avoidance. So although it may feel counterintuitive to ask a teacher to do more, (laughs) the avoidance of either dealing with something or setting a boundary, like avoiding setting that boundary of I'm not going to check my email after a certain time can, can contribute to, to burnout. So kind of taking some steps to confront some of that stuff can be a good way to mitigate that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important. A lot of teachers I know either have anxiety or are realizing that they have anxiety Mm -hmm. and like my first year, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, depression, and a sleep disorder that I just found out was in my report and nobody told me about. So that was exciting. Oh, that's so annoying. Love that. And with, with like my anxiety, I realized it came about through a lot of avoidance. Like I would have situations I'd have to handle with students and I'd know I needed to confront it early on and be consistent with stuff I needed to do. And usually the problem was I had so much stuff in my head it wasn't always avoidance sometimes it was just legitimately forgetting because I had so much else on my plate yeah and now and then I created like a post-it system and a phone system and like I've had different ways that I'm writing down what I need to do and want to accomplish at home and at school and I'm prioritizing like here's the things that need to be done ASAP here's the daily tasks here's things that can wait a little bit and so it's it's definitely helped to making sure I'm tackling the stuff I need to when it comes up. And a big thing with it too is finding a way to have that work-life balance as a teacher can be really difficult. And I always tell my new teachers and my new staff to work as little outside contract hours as possible, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, which can be hard because you know you have all this work piling up and you only have 50 minutes a day. And I tell them, like, stay at work or come early for, I would say, no more than maybe an hour. If you're a newer teacher, it's probably going to be a l- bit longer because you have to make all of your curriculum yourself from scratch the first couple of years if yeah, usually you're not really given stuff, uh, which can be fun for people. I love making curriculum. Not that much at once, but like in general, <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoy making curriculum because I love my content area. But finding that that really good balance of like, okay... I'm coming in at 8. We start at 8.30. I'll prep what I need to beforehand. I get out at 3.30, but I'm going to stay until 4.30. And that's it. And then I go home. I will bring nothing home. And okay. that I, I don't anymore. Like, I do not bring grading home. I don't bring slides home. I leave my computer on my desk. Like, I don't even bring my computer home. All right. Um, the hardest thing, and this is the next step I want to do, is taking my work email off my phone. Mm. That's where I have the the problem but I, I, I'll see the email, and I've done better now. At least I don't respond. I'll add it to my to-do list of respond tomorrow. That's um, a great system. So it's better. It's, it's a little bit better. Like, I had a student the other day who emailed me about something, and it was like 8 o'clock at night, and I started responding, and then I went, no. <laughs> it is my off hours. And I added it to my list, Email her back tomorrow, yep. and I came in, and she was at school. So I just talked to her and didn't even, like, the email wouldn't have even made a difference because I just saw her. Yeah. And she was going to be out and then wasn't. So I was like, I saved myself. Time. <laughs> yeah and it helps a lot because it takes me so long to decompress from being in school mode mm-hmm. that if I'm working until like seven like I used to I would work from like seven to seven every day of just oh. teacher content stuff um it would I wouldn't decompress yeah if by it was by the time I needed to go to bed and I would have nightmares and I would stay up all night and I was sleeping terribly so I have found a pretty big balance, and I've found there's a lot of stuff I'm just never going to grade, and the kids don't care, and I don't care. (laughs) Like, just cut down on what you need to grade, folks, because, like, just focus on the important stuff and some participation things, because your mental health and having that work-life balance is way more important, and you're going to be a happier teacher for it, and your students are going to notice that and probably get a better teaching experience.
1: That's great. And those are really great examples of dealing with avoidance Mm -hmm. and avoidance is for my anxious girlies. Avoidance is our favorite coping Mm -hmm. skill. Um, and just for, you know, just to keep telling it back into psychology, um, if anyone's ever heard of act, which is acceptance and commitment therapy, um, they have this concept in act that's called experiential avoidance. And essentially this is like Anytime we have a feeling or a thought that could be unpleasant, we do something to avoid it. Mm -hmm. This can be as extreme as self-harm. It can be things like substance use. It can even be like if you're every time you like start to feel a little bit anxious, you like know to put on the office because the office will soothe you, right? Like experiential avoidance is is about doing something to avoid the experience of anxiety Mm -hmm. or the experience of depression. Um, it's typically more like anxiety it can be with trauma too like the experience of PTSD symptoms we want to experientially avoid them um and one thing that ACT is really big on and the reason I bring this up is because I've been like reading the manual because I'm preparing to like get trained in it I'm really excited about that um but one of the things is like they want you to understand that your thoughts and who you are as a person are separate right Mm -hmm. so if I have an anxious thought it doesn't mean that I am that thought right Mm -hmm. I can kind of step back and like View that thought from from the side. So, like, if you're having, I'm not doing therapy to Jane. I'm just <laughs> giving examples. But if that you're having, <laughs> if you're having thoughts of like, you know, I have so much to do when I get home. I have so I have so much like schoolwork to do, but I also have yeah. so much like chores and things to do at home. And that thought causes you anxiety. Sometimes the next thought that comes is like, and I'm not good at them. I'm a Mm -hmm. failure because I didn't finish all these things. Or maybe I'm not a good wife or a good partner or um, even a good teacher. Right. These things can kind of Mm -hmm. come with the anxiety. And that's what we're avoiding. We're avoiding that experience of like, I'm I have a bad thought about myself. And so one thing that you can do is really like take a mindful moment and just be like, I'm having that thought. And it's a thought. It's not a fact. Right. That's a thought that's like coming to my brain. And it doesn't mean that it's, like, in the dictionary and it's written down and real.
0: Yeah, I think because I had to go to group therapy for a while. I had this great therapist that I was in a really, really, really bad teaching experience. Yes, you were. you are, just get out. Like, it doesn't mean teaching's not for you. It just means that that school sucks um, or admin or whatever. And I was in a bad experience. It was my first year teaching, and it's often terrible. And so I was put in a bunch of group therapy that was like three weeks or four weeks long. Just yeah. I had six weeks left of school and my therapist was like, we're just going to keep putting you in these things so you can get excused <laughs> until you start your new job next year. And I was yeah. like, thank you. Um, I did need them though. Like, I also did need them. And I think I had a therapist, it was for like group work anxiety. And she would always say feelings aren't facts <laughs> whenever we would all be like we're so anxious like all these things are yeah awful. she's like feelings aren't facts remember feelings aren't facts and i just remember her saying it all the time and i had her for two work trainings i think i had to go to and i it, it always that's like my mantra of what comes to me whenever i have anxieties i to like have that mindful moment and say to myself like how she would always say that
1: feelings aren't facts yeah it doesn't mean that we ignore them forever yeah. and like keep shoving them down but they they don't have to be addressed in the moment and they don't have to be addressed as if they are set in stone feelings feelings can change thoughts can change um but i uh, yeah i i know that it it, like you got you and teachers in general are in really tough positions and sometimes these little recommendations feel like okay what's that gonna do about (laughs) all the other stuff yeah um but you know if like i i've said multiple times on this podcast if you're in a position where you're so overwhelmed and it's really impacting the quality of your life, maybe this is your sign to like reach out and get some help and mm-hmm. look into therapy, group therapy. I, there's great IOP programs for people that um, are going through work stress. Those are called intensive outpatient programs where you get to go to therapy for four hours a day, five days a week instead of going to work. Yep,
0: I went to that one.
1: That can be a great... like vacation, reset. It's very
0: interesting. Yeah. I met a lot of interesting people. Yeah. You do. I was like, wow, my problems are not that bad. It, it is
1: also good for that. <laughs> get into perspective. Um, but you know, if this like it, it, it's, it's not a failure, right? Like that's, that's not a, a fact. It's not yeah. a failing. And it doesn't mean that teaching isn't for you. Like, like Jane said. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's why I think this summer off actually really helped me get some perspective because last year it was like, It had been a year and a half of online learning. I had that summer before we started this past year was my wedding and it was just Mm. wedding planning all summer. And then I started the school year, which was the first year post COVID and the behaviors were insane and I was anxious because I'm immune compromised. And then it was COVID and everything was just a nightmare and I was anxious all the time. And then this was the first summer I actually had like, like relaxation. I didn't have to do anything. And so I came back feeling a lot more refreshed this year. Uh, which was was definitely helpful. Um, I think also, we we lose a lot of focus of, (laughs) whenever I talk to my students, I talk to them like, yeah, like just today I was talking about in order to focus, you need to make sure that you're also being good to your brains and making sure you're getting good sleep, that you're walking, you're getting a little bit of exercise, and you're eating well. And then mentally, I'm like, well, I'm a hypocrite. Because <laughs> like, we forget to do that stuff for ourselves. I yeah. have so many teachers. They're so tired when they get home. Because our job, it's not just that it's like seven hours. It's an active seven hours. Yeah. You are constantly moving and talking and changing ideas and planning, and you are not really sitting. And when you're sitting, you're still working. So we get home and we're so tired, and we just get fast food, and it's like that's fine every now and then. But every night, like your body's just gonna feel it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: I know a lot of teachers who have a drinking problem or yeah. a drug usage problem, and getting help for for those things and finding more healthy ways that you can manage all the stuff that you're going through is is important. Yeah, and we they're... think teachers are these like pinnacles of sainthood, and it's not true.
1: <laughs> it's not true, and it's not uh a moral failing no. that that's not true. Yeah. That the, there are people like in my profession that are there to help you when you're dealing with, with all that's on your plate. Exactly. And that's why this was the perfect bringing together of <laughs> professional interests. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jane, I'm so glad to have you with me for this episode. It's a it's a big one. This is going to yeah. be a, a hefty one. I'm so
0: sorry. I'm <laughs> a teacher. I, we talk a lot. <laughs> I know.
1: Talk for seven hours at kids, and then <laughs> I know. I don't know how to
0: put a stopper on it. My kids are like English teachers talk a lot, and I'm like, ah. You have <laughs> a lot of
1: words in your brain. Was <laughs> well, there any last thing you want to say to kind of wrap up this topic?
0: Uh, I would say. Buy your teacher friend a drink. <laughs> Check out Donors Choose. You can find stuff that's in your area. If you work for a company, see if you can get your company into donating mm. grants and stuff to Donors Choose, and they can do it as a tax write off. So it's a really great resource to use. And you know, I think if you even donate to it, you can use it as a tax write off. And teachers love it. It helps our lives a lot. Um, just, just look also when you vote there's a lot of stuff for education that hasn't been passed that could have gotten us more money Mm. or changed a lot of stuff for education that people just weren't educated on. (laughs) Uh, So just looking at like your school boards and who you're actually electing to the school board, Mm. asking teachers about like who actually is best for those positions, um, paying attention to education and meetings for those kinds of things is, is super important even when you're out of school.
1: Yeah, because those little gremlins will become your peers in the world. (laughs) All right. Well, Jane, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Oh, God. Um,
0: (laughs) I guess the best place would be Jane Tendo is usually what I am on most things if you want to see little art doodles. Uh, I'm also probably going to be posting in there. I'm working on a book right now about teaching and about the teacher exodus. So I'm going to be, hopefully... Publishing that and going even more in depth. But you think I talk a lot just <laughs> see my <laughs> If you like this kind of format, It's <laughs> uh, about different teacher stories, um, yeah. things with students, and just the behind the curtain of how teaching can be in California and in
1: America. This was just the warm up for mm-hmm. the great book that you're gonna publish for the people.
0: I'm excited. Yeah,
1: and I'll drop some links to your socials in the description yeah. so people can get ready for your book to come out and maybe yeah. give you some money on twitch don't
0: send me hate mail <laughs> no hate mail <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right well thank you so much for coming thank on you. it was a pleasure
0: yeah.
1: and to everyone else thank you for listening through to the end of the episode i'll see you in the next one bye-bye to see the sources and resources mentioned in the episode visit psychologicallymindedpod.com or click the link in the show notes to contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming episodes, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and see you in the next episode.